Let's pray. Open our hearts, Lord, to receive uh, the truth of your word and to know how to live it out in our lives. We pray this in the name of the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, this is a sermon about the peace of God. You too have a sort of Christmas song, you may know it, it's called Peace on Earth. And there's a line in the chorus, Jesus, can you spare the time to throw a drowning man a line? Peace on Earth. The song is really a complaint. Bono sings, we hear it every Christmas time, but hope and history won't rhyme. Peace on Earth. The song takes its central phrase from the song of the angels in Luke 2. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. But the song asks, in the continuing conflict and dysfunction of the world, where is this peace that the angels proclaim? We're drowning, says the song, drowning in a churning sea of conflicts and fears Disorder and waste and grief and anxiety. We're not at peace. Not in ourselves, not with each other. The song appeals to Jesus. Jesus, can you spare the time to throw a drowning man alone? The song calls on Jesus to hurry up and finish the work of God, which is to make and keep true peace. Now, Certainly the Bible sets out a hope that God will establish a lasting peace. And he'll do this by enthroning the Prince of Peace. This well-known Christmas reading from Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. When God reigns, there is peace. Our reading from the Old Testament, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who say to Zion, your God reigns. When God reigns, there is peace, because God himself is peace. By his very nature, he is rest, he is freedom, he is wholeness, he is harmony, he is peace. And because God himself is peace, his reign is peace, his kingdom is rest, his kingdom is freedom, his kingdom is wholeness, his kingdom is harmony, his kingdom is peace, and his kingdom is coming. In particular, The Bible names Jesus as the king of that kingdom of peace. Names Jesus as the prince of peace. The angels outside Bethlehem say to the shepherds, speaking of Jesus, Today in the town of David a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, we are perhaps familiar with the fact that Jesus is a strange sort of king. He lived more like a prophet really than a king and in the end though he hung on a cross he didn't sit on a throne Uh, his enemies taunted him and the only crown he wore was a crown of thorns 
And yet this humiliation, this apparent failure, this death, came to be understood as his great peacemaking act. Colossians 1.20 says that God was pleased through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. For the first and most important peace that we need is peace with God. Because there's something about us human beings that's at odds with God. Paul calls this aspect of our being the flesh. He doesn't mean, you know, our muscles and blood and fibres. He means that thing in us which does not love God and loves to go its own way instead. He says the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God in Romans 8. And this hostility is what expresses itself in our sin. And there'll be no peace for us without peace with God, without dealing with this rebellious streak in us, without this sullen and suspicious, willful and rebellious hostility to God being dealt with. And this is what Jesus' death on the cross does. Romans 6, Paul writes, Our old self, that self that is governed by the flesh, was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. And when we put our faith in Christ, when we turn to him and trust in his blood shed on the cross, then we have peace with God. Paul again, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now because we have this peace, this reconciliation between us and God, and in an objective way, God has reconciled us to him and him to us, Paul says, uh, well, this peace then has its kick-on subjective uh, results in our hearts and minds. The peace with God brings peace to our hearts and minds. Paul says the mind governed by the spirit, the mind of the believer, is life and peace. what, What might that mind governed by the spirit be and experience? Well, it might be the peace that includes freedom from the fear of death. It might be the peace that includes relief from guilt over sin. It might be the peace that includes joy, joy at the knowledge that you are known and loved by God. This peace might include the sense that life is good, it is meaningful, and purposeful and going somewhere might include the peace that is the feeling that the troubles that you face daunting as they may be will not overwhelm you they will not be victorious over you in the end there is perhaps a loosening of the grip of anxiety there is an assurance that you belong to God and that you will live with him always all of this might come to you in your heart and soul because of the peace We have with God. Now, this does not mean we're always going to be floating downstream in a kind of bubble of wonderful peace. We will continue to wrestle with fears. We will continue to wrestle with worries. We will have our doubts. We will have our dark valleys to walk through. 
but the foundational peace with God that we have through Christ will always be ours. And flowing from that peace, that fundamental peace that we have with God, is the peace that we make with others. For God will not only make peace with us, but he will, as Zechariah says, guide our feet into the way of peace. And in our second reading, Paul says to the Corinthians, live in peace. He writes to the Romans, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, living at peace with everyone, as far as possible, as much as it depends on you, means many things. But it means at least this. It means seeking to sort troubles out. Not ignoring them, but working to improve things when things go wrong between us. Where we've fallen out with one another, we pray that things would improve. And we think about our part in this trouble, and we ready ourselves to confess it, if we have the chance. We think about the other person's part in this trouble, and we ready ourselves to forgive it. And we look for the chance to reconnect and to talk about things and seek resolution if that is needful. Living in peace means sorting things out. Living at peace also means taking care not to stir up trouble in the first place. And this means having consideration for how our words and actions and our omissions, the things we don't do, might affect others means working on our kindness, our gentleness, our self-control in the way we talk to and deal with others and working towards a common understanding with others. Our second reading from 2 Corinthians says, Be of one mind and live at peace. And the primary community where we should be seeking to live out this peace is amongst our fellow believers who can be of one mind and who are committed together to living in peace and who share peace with God. But it extends seamlessly, absolutely, to everybody, to our family, to our household, to our workplace, to our circle of friends, to our neighbours of all sorts and kinds. Now, it will not always be possible to live at peace with everybody. Others may be set upon conflict or chaos. They may have entrenched positions. And not all differences can be overcome. Not all relational breakdowns can be resolved. can only do what is possible while praying that God might work the impossible should it please him to do so. But since God has made peace with us, let's pursue peace with others. And let's use the season of Advent perhaps to prepare the way for the Lord by cultivating in ourselves this gift of peace that God has given us through Christ, remembering that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, savouring that in some way and letting it into our hearts, allowing it to work upon our fears, upon our anxieties, upon our guilt, uncertainty, upon our anger and frustration. 
Let it go to work on those things in your heart. Let's also prepare the way for the Lord by doing our best to live at peace with one another. Let's put away hostility, anger, aggression, resentment. Let's thaw frosty relations. Let's seek honest, careful talk that aims at making peace. Not the peace that's a kind of armed standoff, but the peace that brings joy and eases tension. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you. Let's approach all this with prayer and wisdom and courage, with gentleness and grace and self-examination and determination. And where we can't resolve things or reach a happy reconciliation, let's at least from our side keep what peace is possible. Let's try not to make things worse in hope that God might bring new possibilities for peace in time. But still, the world is a world of conflict, intractable conflicts. The final universal peace seems far away in our world of war and strife. And there are kinds of peace that we are just going to have to wait for, wait in hope for God to bring about in his own time. We may wish to keep the peace, but we must be ready perhaps to guard and defend the human conditions for peace, justice and freedom. It may be necessary to fight. We may get to make peace, but we may also have to fight to establish it in our own time. This is a possibility. I was talking to someone after the morning service and they said, well, what about you know, Jesus saying, I've not come to bring peace but a sword? The way that Christian mission produces conflict it doesn't you know, bring a balm of peace upon the world. And that is very true. And here is another place in which there is a final peace that we can hope for and wait for, but we can't expect in this life. And there may be conflict that we need to endure not seek out, not exacerbate, but engage in for the sake of the kingdom of God and its ultimate peace. And so we must return to what we began with last week, that is to hope, the hope for peace, which is the patient waiting for an eager expectation that Christ will come and will establish his peace everywhere and forever and that we in the end, we'll share the joy of that peace. Let's pray. Father, we're conscious of the turmoil and conflict of our world and the way in which it seems inevitable that we will have to live not in peace, but in tension, in disorder, in grief, in a kind of war. Lord, help us in the midst of all this to know peace with you, that fundamental peace that will reshape all our lives and orient our hearts towards you in hope and in joy. May we all know peace with you through our Lord Jesus Christ.
And may that bring us peace in our hearts, real peace, uh, not that that's all that we have there, but that it is there and that we are at peace with you and therefore at peace in ourselves. And guide our feet, Lord, into the way of peace. Teach us how to live in peace, if it is possible, as far as it depends on us. Teach us, Lord, to live at peace with everyone. And where that's not possible, Lord, help us to endure the conflicts that we must be involved in. Not making them worse, but doing our bit to make them as least bad as they can be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.